There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and a big, big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. And I'm I'm so excited today. I have Judy Piatkus on the show. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the conscious entrepreneur today. And uh, I can't believe it. It's been 10 years nearly next month since my first interview on the show with Judy. I'm just completely astonished by that. Um, before I introduce you to Judy, I'd like to say a big thank you to Neil McCoy-Ward, who was my guest last week. And we talked about macroeconomics. We talked about what's going on in the world of kind of housing and uh, investment. And uh, honestly, I, I just found it a fascinating conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Neil and seeing how his um, very inspiring kind of career has developed. So if you've not listened to that interview, do go into the archive and do check it out. So to, um, to you know, f- as you know, you know, for me, I'm really passionate about this area of consciousness and about how do we elevate our consciousness as leaders, as business people, to make a, a big difference. We've got a lot of challenges around the world right now in a really kind of key point of history. And uh, in order to, um, to step up, I think we all need to look at ourselves and think, how can we elevate the way we think and behave and, and how can we get on and make a contribution to, uh, to solving these problems and helping mankind and the planet move forward. Now, my guest, Judy Piatkus, um, has a fascinating background. She founded her independent uh, publishing company, um, Piatkus Books, at the time from her London home in the 1980s. And uh, she did this. She was married at the time with three children and an eldest daughter who had um, disabilities. And over the next 25 years, she grew Piatkus Books into one of the world's leading independent publishing companies. Um, she's uh, you know, a pioneer, been a pioneer in the areas of um, personal development and alternative health. And she launched uh, the careers of uh, many talented writers. Um, some of those you may know, like Nora Roberts and Danielle Steele, um, Robert Crace. And Judy uh, completed then a very successful exit um, from um, Piatkus just before the credit crunch. So perfect, perfect timing there. She now is a consultant. She's a mentor. She brings people together through her network, uh, Conscious Cafe. And um, there's been some amazing things said about Judy. In fact, um, the Times of London are described her as one of the world's leading thinkers. So we really are um, very fortunate today. And her memoir is called Ahead of Her Time, which uh, is also a great read. So a huge welcome today to my guest, Judy Piakas. Thank you, Chris. And it's, um, it's really great to be on your show 10 years later. <clears throat> I had no idea um, that I was on your show um, at that time. And it's great to celebrate this anniversary with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I think uh, I think it was show nine and we're, we're now what, what, 428. <laughs> so, <it's> been <laughs> so you really are. You're one of the early pioneers on this show as well. So uh, thank you for, for joining me again. And uh, brilliant to get a, a chance to have a catch up and 
going to see what you've been doing. Um, so what have you been doing then over the, you know, since we last spoke? I mean, we'll come back and we'll talk about Piatka's books and we'll talk about conscious entrepreneurship. But w- what's happened to Judy Piatka's over the last 10 years? Well, congratulations to you um, for getting to episode 428. That is amazing. Um, and the most extraordinary people have been on this show. Um, amazing listening. So um, what have I been doing for the last 10 years? Well, that's, that's, that's an interesting question that I'm going to um, just share with the audience in that I had a publishing company, a book publishing company, and it occupied my time from when I launched it, um, which was, 19, um, in the 1980s, just about 1980, to when I sold it, 2007. And as I was coming up to the period when I knew that I would no longer be able to call myself a publisher, I had to do a lot of work because I knew that I would meet people in the business world and they would say, well, what do you do? And I wouldn't have an answer. And I know there are so many of you out there who love your companies and are hanging on to them perhaps because you think, well, what am I going to do after my company is sold? So I have to tell you, there's an amazing world out there. There is an amazing world and so many opportunities to explore it. Um, So when I sold my company, I'd actually been working solidly since I was 19 and I was in my 50s by then. And I have had time to explore a whole range of different things. Um, So I've done some angel investing. Um, I've kept up with what's going on in the marketplace. Um, I I did something very exciting. Um, I didn't go to college uh, when I was a young woman. And um, I didn't go to university and I had a chip on my shoulder about that for many years. Mm. And so um, I went to university and I took a degree. Um, I have a master's and to do do it as a mature Mm. student um, and it's in creative leadership, that's been an extraordinary experience. Um, So... Uh, I've mentored, I've consulted, and I run a network for people who are interested in personal growth. And I've done loads of other things besides. So I've had lots of fun. And interestingly, what I didn't want to do was start another business and do the same thing all over again, Mm. because I knew it had filled my life completely. And I didn't want to live like that again. Mm. So, so... I think, you know, it's been an interesting time for you. I, I mean, when when you sort of, you, you end something uh, and you're kind of, you're very tied up in it, aren't you? You kind of, you're, you're sort of self-image and your you're, you're, uh, you're kind of identity, uh, you know, must have been very much Piatka's, Piatka's books. And so did you find, um, did you find uh, it, you know, a challenging transition or or was it something that you kind of leapt into with great joy and excitement? Well, um, when I saw the company, the company was called Judy, the company was called Piatka's Books. My name's Judy Piatka's. So I literally was selling a company named after me. And I'd, I'd never really had much time to myself. I really had been working pretty solidly with a couple of three-week holidays. That was it. Um, and two weeks mainly, but three weeks was the most. And when I sold the company in 2007, 
I was completely burnt out. And I decided I wouldn't do anything for a while. I wouldn't run out and buy a home in some exotic country somewhere. Um, and I wouldn't buy another business. And I wouldn't do anything. I would just sit there quietly and see what I felt like doing. And I wouldn't do anything because I thought I should do it. I would wait till my heart gave a little leap mm. and something would come along and I'd think, oh, yes. Yes, I want to do that. And then my decision-making was straightforward. So for a year, I did nothing. And for the first three months, after I didn't have to go into an office every day, I literally did nothing. My husband would go off to work. He'd leave me with the paper and a cup of tea in bed. And I'd just sit there for the next three hours, reading the paper, sipping my tea with my feet up. And it was delicious. It was delicious. And, and it was really lovely time. Um, so it took some months um, before I began to discover what, what I really enjoyed doing and what I didn't want to do um, because I wasn't enjoying it any longer. Um, but what I did learn was that I had been carrying a huge responsibility. So while I was a publisher, I can honestly say I loved every day of being a publisher. Of course, there were difficult days. Of course, there were challenges, but I did love it. But when I sold the company, I had had a rather substantial overdraft. It was into seven figures. I was the one who'd guaranteed it based on the fact that we had a building in the centre of London. And when I put that down, I realised I'd been carrying the burden of it and holding space for the company to grow for a long time. And it, I felt very light to put that down and just relax for a while. I, I, I remember a sort of strange serendipity happening with you because we first met at, at, a, at an event in London. And I remember you giving me your business card and we said we'd have a, have a conversation. And I was thinking, I was starting to write my first book with um with dr stephen levinson and uh, and stephen and i were sitting there thinking well, stephen said look we need to get this book published and uh, he said to me he said uh, chris he said um what, you've got a big bookshelf behind you you know what are your favorite books so i pulled i remember pulling out seth godin's tribes i remember pulling out t harvecker's million set and i pulled out a third book and they published by and i said piatka's books my uh, laptop was your business card with Judy Piatkas on it. And I'm like, wow, so you're not going to believe this. Uh, and I remember putting a call into you and you suggested to get a US agent and we did that and we got, we got published. Um, but, you know, you've published, some, you've published some serious authors, didn't you, in your time? Yeah, um, we published some fantastic authors and um, we published a lot of fiction to start with. Um, and then... I was quite young at that time. Then we gradually expanded into alternative health and cookery. Um, then we expanded into business books. And in the UK, when we began our business list in the early 1990s, there were very few books for for re for just regular people in the street. So there were there were books for studying at university, textbooks, um, but, but there weren't books for people to go in the bookshop and think, oh, that looks helpful, that looks interesting. So we began to publish books 
that would help people do better in their work lives, whether they were losing their jobs or leaving their jobs and wanted to improve their skills, or whether they wanted to improve their skills to keep their jobs. Um, and we were one of the first publishers in the UK. And I would come to America once a year and meet publishers in their offices in New York and study what they were publishing on their list. And they would send me books so that we could buy the right to publish them in the UK and in our export market, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And so the books that really resonated with me, very often I was able to buy. Of course, there were some that were excellent, which um, we were outbid for because we were a fairly um, small publisher. We were small to medium size, but obviously we couldn't um, bid for books that Random House and Penguin were interested in. Um, but gradually we built a really excellent business list and it was very exciting because when we got it right, the books would sell consistently month after month. And that was very exciting and added value to our company. Mm. And, and so, so the, these books, I mean, was, this was an interesting time because self-development was big in America and uh, less so in the UK, I think. It was emerging, I, I think. And uh, this whole kind of subject around consciousness and developing ourselves, you know, for a while wasn't that British you know, when we were sort of stiff upper lip. Did you find that? Did you, you know, we were quite stiff upper lip and, um, you know, people didn't really talk, you know, certainly post-war and a bit further on about talk about their feelings and emotions, particularly if they were male. And did you, did you find that you were kind of on a wave with all of this? Ah, definitely. Well, I was an entrepreneur and I was a woman. And in the 1980s, there were really, this is the truth, very few women entrepreneurs in the UK. And you had far more in America and Canada. Um, but in the UK, um, women were gradually um, studying, training, getting better jobs. But Early in the 1980s, it was really hard to find very many entrepreneurs and there weren't even that many biz uh, women in high levels in the workplace. So that gradually began to change in the 1980s and the 1990s. So, of course, I was interested in growing my business. I was interested in commerce. And one of the things I loved about America and going into American bookshops was that at the front of the store, there were all these books on how to do well, how to be, how to make more money, how to be a better person, how to get on better with your friends and family, um, sort of how to deal with your anger. And in England, and I have to say, it is still the same now. If you're interested in in self-help, in doing better for yourself, and you go into a bookshop, you usually have to go right to the back of the first yeah. floor or up to the second or third floor to find those books. Yes. Because in England, if you go into a bookstore, you're going to find literature and biography and history and military books all in the front of the store. So, of course, in America, it's a totally different mindset. And in England, we were really out on a limb with this old-fashioned mindset. Because when I went to Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, the Far East, there were the bestsellers that came from America. Um, so... People in England were a little slow to buy our books. The public wanted them, but they had to be able to find them in the bookshops, and mm. the booksellers weren't used to stocking them. 
And after we um, became known for business books, we also began to do a lot of personal growth, a lot of new age, a lot of self-help. And English booksellers really didn't know what to do with those books. They didn't know the best ones to buy. And they didn't know the ones that the public might come in and want. Um, so we were always struggling to get through to them as to which ones they should have on their shelves. Um, and the public bought a lot from us directly. So I'm talking about the 1990s here because this was before the Internet. So it was definitely a challenge growing our business in the UK. And I came to the conclusion um, that countries that have an immigrant population, and the UK didn't have such a great immigrant population at that time, they're the ones where everybody comes from abroad and they've left their family and their roots behind and they really want to do well. And this tradition goes back centuries in America and it goes back a couple of centuries in Australia and New Zealand. Um, but in England, we really, really hadn't tapped into that and it's probably only in the last 20 years that we've had this massive um, change and the interest in personal growth. And in mm. fact, at Piatkis, we, we published the first book on life coaching, and that was only in 1997. I mean, there were books from sports coaches, but um, I mentioned this one. When I say the first book, it was the first book that ever sold into WH Smith, our main retailer for books at the time, which was about coaching. So the coaching industry is such a new one. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, um, we're going to get a commercial break now, but I, I found that really, really fascinating because I think um, what I also sense with your business is that you know what you were what you were publishing, you were you were learning from as well, and you built a a business that was you know was ahead of its time in terms of the way that it trapped people and its staff, and um, and I also kind of wonder whether whether some of this growth in self development's also come with the rise of the female entrepreneur. Um, so that's quite an interesting thing to explore as well. So we'll find out more about um, about leading and entrepreneurship after the break. Join us again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Judy Piakas. Welcome back. Um, we're talking about uh, Judy's experiences of being a, a conscious entrepreneur. So, J- Judy, what's... Um, how would, you, how would you define a conscious entrepreneur? Well, that's a good phrase. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> um, so there are so many books that have been written about consciousness, and there are so many great minds who've defined consciousness. So I can only speak about it for me. So for me, consciousness or being conscious is the experience that I am having at this moment in time. So being, I'm conscious at the moment that I'm sitting here um, having a wonderful conversation with you, Chris. Um, and I hope that my self-awareness is sufficiently high that I'm not um, going to talk too much. Um, so consciousness is also the level of awareness that any anybody, any individual, any of you listeners, um, conscious is your level of self-awareness as to what is going on around you in your life in every way. So it's where you are, how you feel, how you're responding to um, the circumstances, the environment around you, how you're responding to stress. It's the heightened awareness. Um, that you have, the more that you delve into the subject of how conscious you're feeling. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I like that. And it feels, uh, it feels like it's a combination of, of uh, presence, maybe, you know, pre- you know we're, we're present. And I think that's a, an important subject. Um, but as you say, that, uh, that awareness and that acuity, but is, is there something more? Is there, I mean, I, I feel when I'm kind of more present and more relaxed, it sometimes feels like things are flowing through me. 
as much as it coming from me. Does that make any kind of sense to you? I, I think <clears throat> I think we all have our own personal experience of just being in the world, mm. on the planet, in the universe. Uh, so for some people, it's going to be very down to earth very sort of a spade is a spade, mm. um, you know, call it what it is. Um, everything is exactly as I see it. And people who are practicing mindfulness, practicing meditation, um, are going to experience it differently. And if it's flowing through you, then I'm, I'm wondering if that might be because you practice mindfulness. Um, and for other people, it's very intuitive, so there are things that you intuitively feel, you intuitively know, as you're having different experiences. Um, and I realize I didn't quite answer your question, which was what's a conscious entrepreneur. So I guess as an entrepreneur, um, you are using your gut feelings. You are in tune with your hunches. Um, and many, many entrepreneurs um, build on the experience that they have of life and of their business um, and of their dealings with people. And they sometimes feel they want to go in a particular direction or they feel they can trust someone or they feel they can't trust someone. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a gut feeling, it's intuition, whatever you want to call it, um, but that might be your level of consciousness as an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. And, and do, do, do you find from your experience with 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 your life life that where did did you find where you trusted your your hunch and your intuition that it was more effective than when you maybe got that feel that something wasn't quite right when i um first became um an entrepreneur and i have to say that was in my early 20s uh, i had a company with a partner mm. uh, we worked together for four and a half years then we separated, I sold my half to him, and I started again. And I would say through my 20s and my 30s, I could not have had a conversation about anything that you and I have just talked about. I had absolutely no knowledge um, of how much was in the world waiting for me to explore. Um, and I began to read self-help books, which I often found in America. I was drawn to those shelves and it was like I knew I needed to learn more, but I hadn't at that time in my late 30s got the self-awareness that I knew I needed to learn more. But I remember mm -hmm. buying The Dance of Anger um, and understanding how angry I was <laughs> with my mother, which was hugely <laughs> helpful yeah. um, because I think that was the first glimpse I had um, in, into, an, in, into a new level of awareness. And then to, to and then as I began to read more in the area of self help and popular psychology, uh, my awareness grew. Um, and as we began to publish books in that area, and as I met the authors, my understanding grew. Um, and that we were offered books about your intuition. And, and that's when I began to learn to work with my intuition. So now I work with my intuition all the time and I don't even think about it. But it's been a 30-year journey. However, I'm sure lots of younger people already know that they're working with their intuition and they're already interested to explore that um, because there's so much more available 
um, we talk about it so much more in society. Yeah. And there's been this massive shift in consciousness of the mystical world, the unknown world, that we don't understand, and the fact that our brains have got so much more capability than we know about. Hmm. It's interesting. I was just just reflecting as you were saying that. Um, I know we, we tend we tend to we tend to keep things a bit evergreen here and don't talk too much about what's currently happening. But 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 you know, a week week or so ago, we had a young eighteen year old Emma Raducanu became the U.S. Open tennis champion. You know, from a being the first person from being a rank outsider, uh, having to having to enter a competition to even get in the competition, and what what really struck me with her was uh, as an eighteen year old, her level of articulateness talking to twenty four thousand people after she did it, uh, and I thought you know there's there's a level of speaking ability there which uh, many people don't learn until they're in their thirties, forties, etc. and and. Uh, it gave me great hope, actually, for, for young people today, really. I feel um, that there are the most amazing young mm. people in the world today. Um, and I think in a couple of years that young people are going to be so angry with older people mm. and the state of the world that we've left them. And they are going to lead. They are. We are going to learn. We older people are going to learn from them. Yeah. We are going to change our thinking. Um, I mean, we have seen um, lots of things that we don't always like. But nevertheless, I think there are there are many, many young people today um, who have who have got such spectacular gifts of leadership and oratory. I mean, if we think about um, those amazing school children after that terrible, tragic um, happening in Florida some years ago when so many children were killed at the school and how many children sort of just spoke out with with such power such extraordinary leadership um and and i'm wondering what's happened to those young people because they really set us an example of how to behave in a crisis yeah yeah yes and we we, we have people like greta thunberg as well you know her her young age and how she's impacted the impacted the world as well it's uh it's good to see these people coming through and yeah i hope they will hope they will forgive us and, uh, um, you know. Well, we're all, we're all supposed to forgive each other. Yeah. If, 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 we, if we're good people, we are supposed to work on forgiveness. I think it's a lifelong journey. So yeah. hopefully these amazing young people have got some really impressive parents so they won't hold it against everybody. Well, that's, that's right. And I think, I think that's it, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, you know, certainly through my lifetime, I've met wonderful people. And I think what's, if somebody described it to me, it's almost like you have times where, you know, the, as it's happening, the permafrost kind of melts and you see the ground underneath, you see what's, what's truly there. Uh, and uh, you know, there's many examples, which the pandemic's opened up as well, of behaviours and attitudes which just don't really belong to the, the uh, 21st century, which uh, became the norm. You know, the way we treat people, the way we treat health service, all, all sorts of situations and scenarios and um it take it takes sometimes a you know a big a big shift doesn't it for people to to realize the error in their ways uh, and the way culture needs to shift and change uh, and adapt so how do you so going back how did you um, manage to do achieve what you achieved with uh, with having a family i, I mean I'm, one of the things i'm noticing is some of the younger people i know and, and i support some of those are having family younger than i did 
and uh, but they've also got you know, great all desires to to make a difference. Um, how did you how did you um, balance three children and and uh, um, your first one Sonia had uh, you know some some um, some challenges with health wise and you know, must have been a big big thing for you. Um, I I was quite lucky in that I knew when I was in my late teens that I probably wouldn't want to be a stay-at-home mum. So when I met my husband, I said to him, I've got to tell you, I'm not going to want to stay at home um, and, and bring up the children. I want children. I love children. But I want to go out to work and I want to use my brain. And I think that was, and I mentioned this in my book, in my memoir ahead of her time, my mother was of the generation uh, who Betty Friedan, the famous American author, wrote about in her book, The Feminine Mystique. All these women were so brilliant, so talented and so frustrated because they were supposed to stay at home and look after the home um, while their husbands went out to the office and did interesting things. Um, So my mother was one of those, and she really should have run a business. And I think I learned from my mother's frustration, uh, because she was never really happy and settled just as a housewife. And I thought, I I, I must have unconsciously, I didn't know it consciously, but I must have made a decision that that life is not for me. Um, When our first daughter came, I was 26, I had... Um, I had been running the company with my partner for a couple of years. I organized a nanny. And so when it was discovered that she had cerebral palsy and might not develop as other children, I didn't feel overwhelmed with guilt because I'd already decided that I wanted to have a life outside the home as well. So then um, we went on to have um, another child two and a half years later and a son. And and then our daughter came along two and a half years after that. And and a couple of years after that, um, I found myself as a single parent. And because my older daughter was disabled, I was really motivated to earn money because I understood that the quality of life for all of us was going to be much easier only if I had enough money to pay for help with her. Otherwise, we would all be very, very limited mm-hmm. in what we'd, we would be able to do because she isn't mobile. She's spent her life in a wheelchair. She isn't verbal. She can't speak. She's got a strong personality, makes a range of sounds. And um, when you spend time with her, you can understand what she wants to some extent. Um, but definitely... All our lives as a family were going to be easier with more money. And as a single parent, it became even more imperative. So that really motivated me as a young woman. Um, And, and of course, that was very helpful because it drove me on to want to be successful. But also, I was ambitious, so it took me a while to Mm. realize it. I was ambitious. I wanted to do well. I was competitive. And I really wanted our books to sell well. That's what I really cared about. Mm. Um, And, of course, um, that's where you find purpose and motivation and all the things that we talk about um, but don't always find in the workplace. I was really lucky that I did. That's really interesting with... um when you have that that kind of fuel and a situation where you're not com- you know things aren't comfortable uh, but you've also got a vision it can drive you on and you know it sounded like you went on a you know you that situation you went on an upward spiral rather than a downward spiral which some people might do if they start to see 
uh, the negative or the need to need to be at home, which actually would have negatively impacted everybody, wouldn't it? Well, I was I was I was lucky. I, I I've been born with a fairly even temperament. I'm quite pragmatic and I'm quite practical. Um, and 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 I came into the world with those with those with those talents, if you like. We don't all have the same talents, but they were very suitable talents for being an entrepreneur and being a mum and balancing my home life. I really wanted to do it, and it never occurred to me that I wouldn't do it if I wanted to do it. I didn't really worry that I couldn't do it. I had to do it. I didn't really have a choice. I had to support the family. I had to pay for the mortgage on our home. I had to um, do well because we began to build an overdraft in the business. We had a loan on the building that we had, which we used as our office. So I was really committed over my head and I had to do well. But one of the good things about publishing is that if you publish some successful books, and as I mentioned earlier in this interview, if people like a book and they keep buying it and they keep recommending it to their friends and bookshops keep stocking it, then as a publishing company, you have value in the books you've published. So I was always aware of what the value of my company would be if I had to sell it. And so I think that made it easier and it wouldn't have been, and, it, and I mean, we've seen in the last two years that many, many wonderful companies have gone to the wall. They've really struggled just because they were in an area of the marketplace where their value was something that could be attacked. Yeah. The value of a publishing company hasn't been dependent on the same things and wasn't threatened in quite the same way with COVID because people still continued to read and buy books. Yeah, great. Well, we're going to go to commercial break um, again now. And uh, after the break, yeah, I'd love to sort of explore a little bit about this uh, very conscious culture that you created, but also um, how you, you know, you became conscious around selling the business and I, I know you really stepped things up didn't you over five years to to enable you to um to sell the business and then ultimately exit it so uh, it'd be good to find out a little bit about that and uh, if we've got time a little bit about a conscious cafe in case anybody wants to get involved in what you're doing there so we'll be back again with you all in just a couple of minutes do join us after the breaks and if you if you want to google the the book and find out more it's called uh, ahead of her time so we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes from the boardroom to you voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free no obligation consultation to see how chris and his team can help you have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. Welcome back. Um, good to be um, good to be back again with you this week and talking to Judy Piatkus about the uh, the conscious entrepreneur and uh, I loved some of Judy's answers there about about consciousness and uh, I was just interested to see what kind of motivated and drive drove her as well with with having a, a young family to to manage and I think sometimes when you do find some adversity, you can turn that adversity into something that uh, inspires you and motivates you. And I see that a common, a common theme, actually, with a lot of people that, that I interview. Um, if, you, if you come from a place of being completely comfortable, then sometimes it's hard to, uh, hard to move forward. Uh, now, I'm just interested, Judy, that, you know, you did, you did build, kind of, kind of, you know, I guess, consciously, you built some really great relationships in your business, which... Uh, which were, you know, maybe a little unusual in the time that you developed the company. And to just tell us a little bit about, um, about the kind of culture that you created there with your employees, with your, your suppliers, with your, your clients who, you know, many of those would be the authors. Um, what, was, what was unique and special that you, you created kind of consciously at uh, Piatkus? Um, well, thank you. Um, because I, I, I was always so proud of the company and of the relationships uh, between the people who work there. And one of the reasons um, that we had this particular culture was before I started um, my career as a publisher, I'd really had only menial jobs. Um, I was a secretary, as it was known at the time. Now it's a PA. So I was PA to various people in publishing and um, I worked in a literary agency. And one company that I worked in was very political and people were always running into each other's offices and shutting doors. And I thought, oh, I don't really like this. And then when I began my company, which I did with a partner, um, we'd worked well together for a few years when we weren't in the same Space. We started off working from home, which was unusual in the 80s. So he worked from his parents' home and I worked from the home that I lived in with my newly married husband. When we got when we did well enough to get an office together, we didn't get on so well. And because I hadn't got on so well with my first partner and it hadn't worked out and I'd sold the company to him. It made me think what I wanted when I started again on my own. And I decided that coming to work should be fun and it should be enjoyable. And that if you, as a person, enjoyed going to work, you were going to do your best work and you were going to give of your best. You'd get up in the morning and you'd feel good about everything. So I wanted people to enjoy coming to work in the company I created. And this uh, policy seemed to work very well because as I gradually took on staff, um, I was generally fairly relaxed. 
I mean, if somebody had to go to the dentist, fine. If they had to go to the funeral, fine. I wasn't worried about how much time they were taking, watching what they were doing every minute. I was fully aware if they were committed to the company and committed to their work and working hard. And that was all good enough. So if they needed some time off, that was absolutely fine. Um, so as the company progressed and it had started, Piatka's book started in my home again, and then we moved into an office in London's West End, a temporary office, and then we bought a building. As the company grew bigger and we hired more people, that attitude didn't really change. And when people came for interviews, I would say for them, look, we want you to work really hard between nine and five. And then we want you to go home and have a life. Because if you don't have a life, we're a creative industry. We're a creative business. And we're going to need you to bring creativity into the company and be fresh and energetic while mm. you're here. So you don't have to work long hours to prove anything, but you do have to work hard while you're here. Yeah. So what happened was people did work hard and they worked longer hours when they wanted to because mm. they were engaged in the work and didn't want to rush home. Yeah. So it worked very well. And so people stayed with us as long as we could keep giving them something new to learn. And when I eventually sold the company, several of my key colleagues had been with the company um, 17, 20 and 25 years. We still had fresh people coming into the company, but working together as a team for so many years, we understood each other very well. And, and we didn't even consciously realize how well we worked as a team, but we would compensate for each other's weaknesses. So we knew each other's strengths. We knew what we might be weaker at, and we would sort of step in to support each other as we were all moving the company forward. In the last few years, we set ourselves a goal of a turnover we wanted to achieve, and we got there within a very short time. We'd expected it to be a five-year plan, and it turned out to be a four-year plan. Um, and we were all hugely proud of how we'd been able to work together in that way. But I have to say also that it did take me as a leader a long a much longer time in order to put the stepping stones and the blocks in place that enabled us to work together so well as a team in our last few years. And I do talk about that in the book because I want it to be helpful to other people who are building companies and want to retain their key staff. Yeah, yeah. There's an interesting line that you said there. You said uh, people would stay with you as long as you gave them something new to learn. Uh, and I found that I found that interesting. You didn't say people would stay with us because we gave them more money, uh, and you didn't say, yeah, yeah. You said it was about learning. And so, how imp how important is helping people to learn and grow through their work versus, for example, money <laughs> and financial package? Um, I think some research has been done which indicates um, that when people get a salary increase, um, obviously they're delighted, they need it, they want it, they feel good. But that feeling of well-being about the salary increase can often wear off after a few months. Mm. Um, and what I think people always need to be doing is having the opportunity to learn new things. 
Now, this wasn't so much the case, actually, in the 1990s and, uh, you know, the first decade of this of, of this century um, because people um, were, were finding there was too much change. So what I'm talking about is that towards the end of the 90s, everybody had new computers to learn about. They had systems installed. Um, each company had to work out what its computer system needed to offer to make life easier so that the workflow and the systems and the process was all very effective. And of course, that was massive change, massive technology change. Um, and that took quite a while. So that exhausted people for a while. So they weren't yet quite ready for more more change and more learning but as younger people have come up into the workplace and are going through the ranks they are used to technology they're used to the digital world and they want to be expanding their knowledge all the time so um most people do like the opportunity to engage and expand their skills and their learning because not only does it make their present job less less boring if they're getting bored but it also gives them more skills in the current job or if they decide to move on or if they have no choice about moving on so yeah. we're now in a very different culture where we need to be learning and keeping up to date all the time and i think we can learn from younger people who are very very keen for companies to support them in doing this yeah great fantastic well, we've just got a, we've just got about five minutes left, and probably only three minutes of conversation before I need to wrap up. Really, so let's just talk about Conscious Cafe. What what is it, and is it something that people can engage with? How does it and how does it help? Well, a few years after I sold Piat Kiss Books, I realised I wanted to have some good conversations about personal growth, about mystical worlds, about what we don't understand. And I brought friends and authors I knew from Piatkas together and everybody enjoyed talking about what is consciousness, what is freedom, what is authenticity. And so Conscious Cafe is a personal growth network which has grown out of that. And we're now online. So previously, we all met in person. We have a few groups in different parts of the world. But now we're online and anybody can join in the conversation or listen to our keynote presenters at any time. Mm. And what have, you, what have you learned from it? What have I learned? Well, I learn all kinds of things mm. every time we have a good conversation. Mm. So like we had a conversation on giving and receiving. And so I learned that receiving is just as important as giving because otherwise the givers wouldn't have anybody to receive what they were giving. Yep. So we might learn all kinds of strange things like that. And with every conversation, different people take different ideas away that hopefully empowers them and improves the quality of their life. And it's www.consciouscafe.org. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, it's been, been fantastic um, talking with you and having the opportunity to, to discover a bit more about Piatka's books and your learning on the learnings on the journey. Um, but, but if you kind of think back over all of that and your experiences do you have a final message that uh, you think it's important to leave with people today? Yeah, I, I want to say to everyone that we're really going through difficult times. There is a massive shift in consciousness and a massive shift in awareness. And if you can just 
focus on the good things that are coming out of this difficult time, the kindness people are showing one another, um, the conscious communities, then hopefully you will find life easier. It's not easy at all, but if you can keep your spirits high, then that contributes to your well-being and you're less likely to get ill. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. I always remember going to Bangkok for the first time and uh, and I'd spoken to one or two people. It's always oh, not a very nice place. And actually I loved it. And I, and I loved it because there was, there was lots of really interesting things there. There was uh, things that were difficult, like the congestion and the traffic and uh, getting tucked up drivers to take you to the place that you actually agreed for them to take you and those sorts of things. But actually I saw a lot of beauty and a lot of interest in it. And I guess it's um, at this time is, is what you're saying is it's about where you focus your attention. Yeah. And, and, you know, we all want to stay well. I think that's what we're really concerned mm. about. Mm. So when our energy is higher and our spirits are higher and we're kind to one another, then our immune system um, is much likely to be healthier. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, G- Judy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and, uh, uh, and if you want to um, find out more, go to ConsciousCafe.org. Um, There's also, uh, if you want to find out about Judy, you can go to judypiatkus.com and you can find out about uh, ahead of her time if you want to. And it's available, no doubt, from all, all good booksellers uh, at the moment. And on next week's show, we have, um, we have a gentleman called Aaron Schmuckler. And Aaron is a, a fascinating individual. I talked to him about teams. Um, you'll know that I, I get involved in helping develop teams too. Uh, and, and, and leadership, but he had some really, really fascinating takes on it. And uh, I think it'll be a really, really good conversation at the moment. People are coming back into the office. Uh, we're, trying to, we're trying to build great teams again. Um, I'm finding with my clients a few niggles and things that are starting to happen as people come back and have to start to work together face-to-face again. Um, maybe a little bit like Judy explained with a partner all those years ago. When you get into a space with people, it gets difficult. So good time to sort of check in and, uh, and, and think about how can you uh, create an amazing, amazing team. I know where I was in a, the best team I've ever been in um, and also – well, the experiences that I had from that and how I went on and d- developed various teams. When a team's working well, it's a fun place to be. You support each other. It's, you're challenged, but actually you become very, very high performing. And, and I look back on my career, probably a little bit like Judy, and that, those teams have been some of the highlights of my life, actually, when, when things are going well. So join us again next week um, with Aaron Schmuckler. And once again, a huge thank you to Judy Piatkus. And any questions or comments, Chris at Chris Cooper. .co.uk. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.